I first set eyes on Francis Appleton while we were both up at Oxford nearly forty years ago, James Mills said. It was an uncommonly warm spring day, I recall, and I was walking by the chairwell, not far from Magdalen Bridge. There were plenty of other people enjoying the sunshine, strolling on the college meadows as I was, and a varied collection of craft floated past me, rowing boats, punts, and so on. Some were handled more dexterously than others. Mills paused, his gaze misting and focusing on some scene long gone by. Little light came through the tiny window, and the candle, guttering on the table, sent both our shadows leaping fantastically about the walls. He'd lost weight in prison since I'd last seen him in the dock at the Old Bailey. He was still a sturdy man, though, robust for his sixty-something years. I hoped the hangman did not bungle the job on the morrow. I did not like to think of Mills dangling, kicking, and gurgling as the life was slowly squeezed out of him. The Newgate hangman, Calcraft, was notorious for the high number of executions he'd carried out and the prolonged death agonies of the condemned. If the job were to be given to him, I could not hold out much hope for Mills having a quick and painless end. I had heard reports of Calcraft pulling on the condemned person's legs to hurry things along. He probably justified that sort of behaviour as doing the prisoner a kindness. I had my own view. It was not the only reason I had answered the call to Newgate Prison that evening with deep reluctance. The smell of the prison always takes a couple of days to wash away. It has a way of pervading everything. The sourness of unwashed humanity. The fatty stink of what passes for cooking in the great cauldrons. The staleness from lack of ventilation and, above all, the despair. For that has an odour all its own. All this seeps into your clothing, skin and hair. Even after it has been cleansed from these, it lingers in the mind. The smell and atmosphere of the condemned cell, where I sat with Mills, was yet more sinister and unpleasant. It was as if Death himself sat with us in his rotting rags and smiled a ghastly grin at us as we talked. Mills twitched and pulled his attention back to his present grim surroundings. Are you listening, Inspector? he asked testily. I assured him that I was, and begged him to continue his story without unnecessary delays. Ah, said Mills with a mirthless smile. You wish to be back home with your wife. I suppose you to have one. And family. Sitting at your own table, eh? I almost snapped that I would indeed be comfortable at home if I weren't sitting there in that wretched place at his behest. But I didn't say so because Mills, with his calm manner, made me feel somehow embarrassed. I could walk out of there, and he could not. He saw I grew restless and returned to his memories. Anyhow, Inspector Ross, I was telling you how I met Appleton. There I was, by the river, not a care in the world. 
Then a punt emerged from under the bridge, pulled towards me by a young fellow I did not at that time know. He was about my own age, some twenty years, fair-haired and athletic in build. I admit I paid more attention to his passenger, a girl, and an uncommonly pretty girl, reclined in the punt, laughing up at him. She wore a white muslin gown, cut rather low, I recall. This was before the later ugly fashion for women to barricade themselves inside crinolines. Women then wore gowns with skirts billowing gracefully over layers of petticoats that rustled most delightfully as they walked. She had long white gloves and wore a wide-brimmed hat of Italian straw with blue ribbons to shield her from the sun. Beneath it, Bunches of...